Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Brief, brought to you by The Daily Journal. I'm Howard Miller, contributing editor and podcast host for The Daily Journal. And our guest this week is retired Judge Daniel Weinstein, who is one of the preeminent mediators of complex civil disputes in the United States. That may be an understatement. There are many who will tell you he is the preeminent mediator of complex civil disputes. He's internationally recognized in complex multi-party and high-stakes commercial and political disputes. He received the 2014 International Advocate for Peace Award from the Cardozo Journal of Conflict Resolution, which if you don't know it, it's important to know that the past honorees included former presidents Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton, Ambassador Richard Holbrook, and Nobel Peace Prize winner Desmond Tutu. Judge Weinstein is the former envoy of the United States to Bosnia, where he mediated a $14 billion transfer of funds to Muslim Croats and Serbs. He has settled some of the largest and most contentious financial sector, intellectual property, and environmental cases of the past two decades. That is the formal introduction, but I will add that, you know, there's some people that are known only by their first name or known well by their first name, uh, Beyonce, LeBron, and in international mediation, when someone says, Danny, everyone knows who that is. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And, and I, I've been waiting my whole career to be compared to LeBron. So uh, we're on a roll. What we want to talk about today in terms of the growth of mediation, because we're doing this in the background of the Singapore Convention, which we'll talk about having been adopted, is really the cat, what character does the mediator require to be a successful mediator? Not just skill sets, but I know I've heard you talk in other times, and you've talked about that at some point mediators have to reach in and develop their own character, sense of human development in order to understand what's happening in conflict resolution. What, what have you meant when you've talked about the development of character and, 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 and understanding in that context? Really good question. The formal mediation process and how you implement it, or what we, we use the jargon facilitated, um, is something that can be fairly mechanically learned. You know, to set up a safe place, to listen to the, uh, to, 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 to learn to be a listener, to, 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 to try to, um, to, to, to try to, be very accurate in your representations to each side. Those are all kind of skills of mediators who to become competent in the field. And and there's some that are very good and some that are not so good, but, but they have these basic skills and it works a lot of times to be to to to, to resolve a lot of disputes. There's another level um that of development that we've learned somewhat the hard way in software over a period of time. And that's the, the, the intangibles, the unconscious, the qualities of empathy, of, of figuring out what's going on unconsciously in the room. What are the, what are the silent pauses mean? Um, all, all of the kinds of things that take a person who is attuned, who can go to different levels, who, when the parties get locked in, as they often do in log jam, and and there's just no way out, and you've worked really hard to get them 60, 70, 80 percent of the way, and then the, 
the gap looks like the Grand Canyon, that, that's when the skills of the really developed people take over. Because in that space where the demonizing and all of the horrible things that are going on now with, with for instance, in the political parties and, and everybody's uh, uh, making everyone into a monster, uh, in, once you remove that and give people, so then, then things like the unconscious, like uh, what's uh, faith, grace, um, a lot of intangibles take place. That's not woo-woo stuff. That's just the reality of what what makes things, the chemistry of things work. And to answer the, the question, and without the long ramping preamble, uh, Howard, the, 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 the more developed, the more quote, conscious a person is, the more they, the more knowledge of other people, of other uh, disciplines, uh, the more awareness they have of their own implied bias and, their, and, and bias in the room and all those unspoken things that really make up that great divide, that's where it takes more and more the people who are really successful at this are people who have developed themselves and added dimensions to their, to, to their capabilities. Well, let me ask you, people come to be mediators usually either from a background as litigators or as judges. What, is, what are the changes that a litigator has to make, for example, in terms of the, lib, of the successful litigator's perspective? I mean, you, you've been both a litigator and a judge. So if you've been a litigator, what kind of changes do you have to make in yourself in terms of developing, not, not the skill set, but the kind of character you're talking about? Howard, we, we, we have in the United States now and around the world, a, a pretty good developing body of capable to very capable mediators, ready and willing to go, and and it's emerging in a with a speed that I, I never imagined it would happen. Uh, when you realize it took us thirty years at Jams and in, in in the U.S. to make mediation almost automatic in any civil commercial case and now it's in schools, hospitals all over as as the sort of preferred method to first see whether a dispute or, or a controversy can be settled. So that's that's the, the good part. What's the biggest problem we have is that lawyers, and not just in the United States, but around the world, have not developed into mediation advocates with the uh, speed that we had hoped they would. And if you, if I sat down with three or four of the best mediators in the country and we were just having a beer together or whatever, and, 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 and we said, we'd all lament that we get in a room with five or six lawyers and a thing, and there's only one of them who kind of gets it, that they're not in the courtroom. They're not trying to make their closing argument to a jury. They're talking to the other side. They're trying to reach a sensible deal. They're, they're different skills. Some of the best trial lawyers. If, if you were talking, pardon me, I just wanted, if you were talking to a litigator 
at the end of a distinguished career of litigation, says, now I'd, I'd like to become a mediator. What should I do to develop the mediator's skills? What would you say? Or to develop the skills? I should be more precise. What should I do to develop the skills of representing the client in mediation? Unfortunately, we don't have re-education camps that we could send them to like in, in South Vietnam, in, in, in Vietnam. And, no, we, 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 uh, it's not as hard as it seems, it, it, but, but it involves um, kind of going back to school. Um, you know, when you're an effective trial lawyer or litigator, all that matters to some degree is that you win. You win your motion. You convince the judge. You do those kinds of things and you get, and, and, and you're, you're trying to just win for your client. And so the skills of, you know, who makes a better argument, who does all that or what to in, in mediation advocacy, you've got to learn that uh, 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 there's some skills that are different than that. Uh, one of them, it, a word is too often thrown around that doesn't have any, but is terribly important in, med in, in mediation advocates and lawyers doing mediation, is they got to learn to be empathic. They've got to they've be able to put themselves in the other folks' shoes for a moment to really make the right arguments and the right offers to them to get the right kind of deal for their client. They've got to learn to look. Lawyers are great communicators. Most of them are crappy listeners. They have to learn to be, to pay attention, to give the person the sense of who's talking on the other side, whether it's the client or the other side's lawyer, to really pay attention to them. Get off your, 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 iPhone, don't look around the room, no faces or grimaces, you're listening. And then and then learn to mirror back what they've said in a way that makes it more acceptable and also convinces them you heard them. I heard you say, Mrs. Jones, that you have been devastated by this and that it's affected not only you, but your family and your children and your husband's business and all that. And it must have been a really, really thing. I, did I hear you correctly? I did. Okay. And and that you think that my client is responsible for it and, and that this is cost his work. Well, I, I heard you. I heard the pain and so on. And my job is to is to talk to you about the liability and my client. In other words, give her the per the, the sense that 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 She's been heard something in a courtroom. What you'd be doing is saying, ah, you, you know, there's no liability. There's not this. This is exaggerated. Her husband's business was failing anyway. All that kind of stuff. But one of the things that I've often thought about here, if I can, is it goes right to law school training. I mean, one of the most remarkable things about legal education that's not very much remarked on is that clients are never brought into the classroom to talk about client interest. I mean, that's changed a bit with the growth of clinical education. But for the most part, starting in law schools, uh, people are taught doctrines and how to argue, but the whole idea of having a client and identifying what that client's interest, which may be different than simply what is done to try to win the case, is simply not talked about that at all. Isn't that an element that will have to be added to legal education to deal with this over time? Absolutely. How to get, how to listen to your client, how to identify interests in, in, in the room and what's going on really. 
And then they table who who are the people of uh, who are going to make the decisions and relating to them, learning learning different. You, you say most lawyers when they negotiate, they only know one mo. They only know to start high, bid low, and do the dance with like the bazaar Istanbul. When you're in mediation, sometimes that's the wrong way to go. Sometimes you make your best offer right off the bat. Sometimes you're dealing with a different culture where to to make a certain kind of offer will be offensive and set the thing back. So there's all sorts of awareness that in the courtroom isn't important. What's the culture of the person on the other side? Where do they come from and what what will be appealing to them and what will be offensive? And then the mediator... Howard has to find out, again, what you don't have to do in the lawyer mediator as opposed to the lawyer trial lawyer. Um, The lawyer mediator has to find out how do you come across to people really. You know, in in a courtroom, you're just trying to convince a judge, sometimes a jury, but very few cases taken a jury. But you're just trying to convince the judge with the rightness of your arguments. Mediation, you've got to you got to get some feedback. How do I relate to women versus men? How do I treat old people as opposed to young? Do I, do I treat them differently? Um, how am I with other uh, cultures and other races? Do I come off as patronizing? Do I come off as being a, 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 just a, a, a gender uh, un- Un- unbiased on gender issues, all those kinds of things. You need, as a good mediation advocate, you need to get some real feedback. Um, judges don't get feedback on how they how they relate to people. They're appointed. You sit on the bench. Your power comes from God or the governor, and you you sit there and you make rulings. And some judges are just terrific. Uh, some have never gotten any honest feedback on how people react to them or how. They, how they're treating them. So in mediation advocates, their success depends on how they, how people react. You know, one of the things you mentioned was the growth of mediation and astonishing growth. What's equally astonishing is the Bureau of, of Labor Statistics uh, now predicts that there will be an additional need for people working in alternative dispute resolution, conciliation, mediation, arbitration. 10% growth a year, additional demand over the next decade. Correct. And when you add that up, you know, that means you're going to have over over double the number in terms of demand. Three new mediators, three new ADR people for every two that, that, that now exist. Where is that demand coming from? Where is the demand for these skills coming from that, 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 that leads to that prediction? It, it, it happened because the... the from general counsel of companies whose legal costs were just going bananas, who knew their cases were taking longer to get done, who decided, hey, we got to try something else first. And and they, they saw the results of how many cases could be speedily and efficiently settled that they, that they became huge advocates of mediation. Uh, the insurance industry that used it that in, in the United States, ensures many of the disputes that happen. It's in their advantage to get cases speedily resolved and not pay the ongoing costs forever. 
So the image of the insurance company is always stalling and not paying. That's not true. They drove the mediation movement in many ways. Um, and, and then now it's spread beyond the mediation world to the domestic world, to community centers, schools. Uh, my little granddaughter was telling the other day that she's my competitor now because she's the conflict manager in her third grade class. Um, so when they have disputes, and, and she said, Grandpa, you know, you really got to listen. You have to listen. And, and so um, the, the, the field is evolving. The demand is coming for ombudspeople, for, um, for people from all different disciplines to learn the skills of mediation, to learn how to operate well in that arena. But it, it, just so I don't sound like the high priest of mediation, that it, can, it can't solve every problem. There are cases that need to be tried. There's issues of principle that need a public airing. We still need great trial lawyers. We still need litigators for, to, to enforce contracts and do things in our society. We're dependent on each other. We're not here to replace them. But the first the prime minister of the country of Georgia, a remarkable woman, stood up at a conference that we were at recently, and she said, uh, Judge Weinstein, in, in Georgia, the country of Georgia, she said, um, uh, alternative dispute resolution is litigation. Mediation is the first stop. Litigation is the alternative. That's what we want in our country. It's, and, and that's happening in the world. And that may be going right to how... That may be going right to how people are trained. I mean, when you look at how people are trained, the assumption is that cases are prepared for trial. This has been the historic assumption. It's changed over time. You prepare a case for trial. Maybe it'll be settled. Maybe it'll be mediated. But in fact, since over 90% of cases that are resolved are done by settlement or mediation, it may require putting into practice what the woman from Georgia was saying, which is making the training by identifying clients' interests to start with the assumption that all attempts will be made to settle by identifying clients' interest, and you only reach the litigation stage if you fail at mediation. So it's not plan for litigation first, maybe it'll settle mediation, but plan for mediation and settlement first. And if it fails, then go to litigation. And that requires a whole change in the legal education culture to do that. Well, it, it, it is changing, though. Our, when you see what's going on with the young lawyers at law school, I, I teach some at Pepperdine and the Strauss Institute. For, and you see these young, the, the young lawyers. Uh, my wife and I have traveled all over. The, we've been in 32 countries filming uh, uh, young mediators in, um, in different countries, doing everything from tribal uh, mediations to, 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 to work in the UN, to work uh, in Bhutan and China and Israel and in, in Egypt. It's happening. And it doesn't, it, 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 it's a process of education, but it's not, uh, it's irretrievable now. And, and when you see where it's come in the last 30 years, but, but, but the important thing was the question you asked at the beginning about lawyers. Um, there was a time when we used to try to have to sell this stuff to lawyers. Hey, learn about mediation. It's a nice, 
It doesn't mean you're not a trial lawyer at all. Now, in order to not be a dinosaur, in order to serve their client's interest, they've got to learn to be effective mediation advocates. And guess what? Howard, just like in, in trial law, good mediation advocates get better deals, better compromise deals uh, uh, for their clients because they're very effective. We've been talking about the training of, of mediators and lawyers about how things are different, about new perspectives on mediation. Let's take a break and hear how you can get, if you're listening, when you, while you're listening to this, you can obtain one hour of MCLA credit. Let's take a break so you can hear how to obtain that MCLA credit. And after the break, we'll continue our discussion on this continued explosive growth and opportunity for mediation. The Daily Journal is proud to provide the weekly brief and other content as MCLE credit. Head to dailyjournal.com slash MCLE to see all the available content and more information on how to earn one hour of MCLE credit all from the comfort of your home or office. Read an article, listen to a podcast, get credit. With a constant flow of information about the COVID-19 pandemic, it's become hard to keep up. That's why we've put all our coronavirus-related content into one place. Now you can find COVID appellate cases, news articles, guest columns, and episodes of The Weekly Brief on our new page. Stay up to date by visiting dailyjournal.com COVID. We're now back from the break, continuing our talk about mediation. I have to tell you, one of the interesting things for me is that there are two people over a lifetime that, in fact, you, you have succeeded and the, and the mediation uh, uh, culture has, has succeeded. Uh, Dorothy Nelson, uh, beginning half century ago, of course, began talking about mediation as, as the most important way of resolving disputes, and she's carried that out. This is Judge Dorothy Nelson, now on the Ninth Circuit for many years, through the Western Justice Center. And I had the pleasure of also working with Roger Fisher before he wrote Getting to Yes, when again, he was talking about these strange concepts uh, in terms of resolving conflict. Uh, you've carried that on in terms of what you've done. And now, in terms of what you've talked about, you've also moved into and are talking about more extensive community mediations, not just the classic one-on-one -on -one as a result of litigation, but community mediations. What, what, what is the future there? What, what is your perspective on what can happen there? If you want to know what can happen there, um, just when COVID's over, jump on a plane to Bangalore or Delhi in India, where um, traditionally uh, their court system, along with Brazil's, were were the most backlogged in the world. It, it would take, believe it or not, 10 or 15 years to get a landlord-tenant case through their courts and stuff. They now have, through work of some, and with the help of the government, they have community mediation centers sprinkled around their towns where people come in, they're treated with dignity, they get an hour and a half slot, they're trained mediators paid by the government, and they bring their, their neighborhood disputes that to them are their life. The, the, the cleaner ruined my wedding dress. The, the, the landlord threw me out. The, the, 
the, the, the, the, the closer uh, cheated me on my bill. All of those things um, that are so important to people's daily lives can be done in a voluntary process. They have this system with full computer follow-up. They, they give them an hour and a half slot within two weeks. They can have you in. It's, it's free of cost. And they have a huge success rate with these marvelous, dedicated, uh, trained mediators who hear these cases. So they're far ahead of us on community mediation. They're far behind us on general commercial mediations. But, but that's just one area, Howard, that over the next uh, decade or so could develop. And, of course, it saves so much money and time and aggravation and tension in the long run to have people have a steam valve to go to, to an early time to train people and see if they can reach a deal. And most of the time they will. And uh, uh, that, that's a gimme that we should be adopting along with ombuds people in many different businesses uh, where uh, disputes uh, that arise in the HR department that, that or, or disputes that are going on between different businesses quickly can get resolved in-house and, and, and don't have to continue to, to uh, brood and, and, and people don't have to fester with these kinds of disputes. So its, it's possibilities are unlimited. It, it, it won't resolve every dispute, but if, if, you could, if you could put a percentage to it, I would need to say, hey, Judge, we, we know it's not scientific. What would you guess is the success rate of a really uh, of a good mediator over time in terms of the disputes brought to him or her uh, in doing it? I'd say, ah, 75, 80%. You know, yeah, a, a few. But, but you have to beware of that because some people get very difficult cases. It doesn't mean they aren't very talented. But, but, but there's a huge percentage of disputes of all kinds, from the most complicated financial disputes, which for two decades I lived my life uh, involved in, to the simplest neighborhood dispute. Um, they, they, all, they all deserve an early shot at seeing whether or not there's a sensible, cost-efficient, practical solution that leaves both sides not whoop de doo They're not like Rocky standing on the stairs with their hands up. I beat him, I beat him. But, but, but they, this is over. They can get on with their lives. And they got a decent deal. And for those few cases where, they can't, where, where you can't find a, a compromise, go to court. Go to court. So what? So we have, in terms of listeners to the podcast, we have a range of lawyers and, and others, young lawyers, lawyers in the middle of a career, lawyers at the end of a career or at the end of that phase of a career. So if, if a listener were to ask, you know, I see this explosive growth in demand. I see the Bureau of Labor Statistics projection. I see the growth in demand. This is something I'd like to be trained in. I understand I need new skills. Uh, I understand I can't just bring my existing skills and say I'm a mediator. I need new skills. 
what should I do? How should I get training so I can move into becoming a mediator and help to meet this demand? And hope you, I hope that they will, and that not everybody wants to be a mediator. You know, it sort of sounds like an attractive thing to sit in the middle and you dispense wisdom, and people have a deal, and everybody's happy, and it's nice, and you don't have to have all the unpleasantness of it. It's 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 a plenty stressful job, and not everybody needs to be mediator. What we need are lawyers who want to both be good lawyers, contractual lawyers trial lawyers, uh, corporate lawyers, and and I have pride in their business, but who learn this fine art of mediation advocacy. Your question is, how do they get it? How do, you know, you're not born with it unless you're born in Brooklyn. It, it, so, so you don't, uh, uh, so, so, so you need to learn it somewhere. But thankfully, there are places like Pepperdine that offer uh, uh, terrific three, four-day courses, week-long courses. Uh, there are places like Cardoza back east. There's, I mean, uh, USC has a whole new school of mediation and mediation. And most of these institutions that are wonderful institutions have um, courses that are available uh, now with the proliferation of stuff online and with the number of mediators teaching this stuff. Um, it's not hard to get a basic education. Um, like everything else, um, there's some there, there are people who are much better than others, and we we have to beware a little bit in a, in, a, in an industry that doesn't have any kind of uh, requirements or certification that that they're good courses and good. The saving grace in this, Howard, is that it's all voluntary. And so the harm that can be created by a uh, errant uh, adjudication or order from a court or arbitration in mediation that doesn't happen because if it's not a fair deal, you won't agree to it. And and that's the safety net and the insurance policy that you get by trying mediation. So uh, if I were a young lawyer or even a middle lawyer. And or an, even an aging lawyer, like I, I would, I would say, hey, I want to learn this stuff. I want it to be another arrow in my quiver, uh, and I'm going to find uh, online at these institutions. I'm going to take these courses. I'll take a week off. I'll find out what I'll find out so much. Everybody that I've sent, or then lots of my friends, I've kind of. Uh, Encourage some people to go there and get. They all call me afterward and say, you know, I never realized all these things about myself and about doing this and where my skills were and where I was lacking. And I got honest feedback in this, and I learned a lot about how to handle people in a voluntary form. So it's out there, and if I were a lawyer and and who wanted to get promoted in a firm. I've learned this stuff because the mediation stars are suddenly becoming very valuable to the firm because they're they're the ones that can get a big case from a big medical company or a big client says, hey, I want to try mediation first before we go on with this. The, the, the people who have these skills are suddenly becoming in great demand. 
And are there people, have you found there are lawyers who've developed independent reputations as mediation advocates? Oh, yeah, oh no, no question about it. It's, uh, uh, but, but I would say, Howard, that's been true in the last five years. Before that, not so. But when, when, when I go in a room and I start every morning it, it, before COVID in a room with 30, 40 lawyers, whatever it is and so on, I look out there and say, oh, thank God, Sally's here. She gets it. Bob over there. I see him hiding, but Bob, Bob gets it. And, and you're kind of safe because they're people who understand the skills and so on and don't, and so on. But it's, it's it's ten percent of the lawyers who are really trained as mediation advocates, and um, the uh, and there's some very good literature on it. Um, a number of media, Bruce Edwards and the Edwards Academy has some wonderful stuff on mediation advocacy. I've written some stuff in Reuters uh, the, uh, on on the high art of mediation advocacy. There's 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 stuff out there to, to learn this skill, but then you got to practice it and, and learn it. And what fun, let me just say, what, what, a, what a good thing if someone can in their mindset say, you know what, I've been a successful litigation lawyer, trial lawyer over this period of time. I'm going to add a new dimension to myself. I'm going to learn a new skill. And then I'm double dynamite because I can... Try like heck to get it settled, and, and, and then if not, I'll take him to court and beat him. And one of the important things, you know, you talked about when you walk in a room and you see who's there. We all know that nothing is more important uh, to a lawyer in many ways than the credibility, whether that credibility is in a courtroom or another context, than just as lawyers spend a lifetime developing credibility in courtrooms before judges. Getting this training and having credibility when you walk into a mediation with the mediator is, is a real asset to the lawyer and the client because that credibility will get you a, a great distance within the mediation. And the way to build that credibility is to have that training and have the mediator see it. Uh, there's no question having some credibility in that regard. Or accreditation means something, but, but I'll tell you what means something is you said the magic word. Um, in the article that I wrote on this, the, the, the first quality that I, I talked about, the eight qualities that make a good mediation uh, advocate. And the first quality was trustworthiness. Um, I know some darn good trial lawyers who've been very successful who you wouldn't, the first thing you wouldn't say about them is, well, their handshake is a deal or that they made it with their word and their honor and so on. And that your reputation for that follows you everywhere. In mediation, it's extremely important that your word is good and it follows you from mediation to mediation as a lawyer. That if you say, I'm going to look into a deal, or when you say, really, this is it, this is my client's final offer, you don't say that unless you mean it. And so trustworthiness uh, uh, over a period of time is a credential that you carry through your career, even more so in mediation than in litigation. And even beyond trustworthiness, I mean, it's the credibility of the arguments that are made. Lawyers who don't make weak arguments in court or don't make weak presentations in mediation, 
develop uh, an, an additional asset. I mean, if, if lawyers are known to the fact that the arguments they make are solidly supported and they don't make weak arguments, which will be demolished, they automatically get additional attention paid to whatever arguments they make. There, there's one other thing that's just that, that should entice the lawyers listening to this about is that um, in, in litigation and in other words, the rules have been pretty much made for us. We follow everything from Blackstone on up of where to stand, what to do procedurally, how to do it, so on, and et cetera. And we navigate within those rules. Mediation has no formal rules. Lawyers are coming up with creative ways to resolve disputes, many of them whispering in my ear and saying, Judge, well, why don't we try this, but it should come from you, not from me, et cetera, where they're coming up with incredible uh, solutions to problems and changing the venue, doing it out of the site where the thing happened, uh, bringing in now with Zoom and, and, and with virtual stuff, we can bring in people from, I did a case the other day that involved villagers in a foreign country along with members of the ministry of, of the economic ministry and the ministry of justice and they all appeared on screen. And then we moved them off and talked to the others. People could do that. The, the, the villagers went to the community center where they had it on the screen. These are the kinds of, but the lawyers fought that up and, and the lawyers presented it to me. And so for, for, for lawyers who sit there and feel boxed in sometime by the strictures of litigation, which may be necessary for it to, 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 to function the way it does, Mediation is a different ball. We have some we have some general rules. It's confidential and it's voluntary. Beyond that, Howard, it's it's a very creative venture, and it's in its uh, nation years. So, uh, good lawyers uh, like some of the ones listening to this are going to be the ones who take it two decades from now to. Heights that we never experienced, that, that we never imagined. But I want to follow through on your comments on the mediation that you did with villagers in foreign countries and Zoom. Even after COVID is over, even after there is the opportunity we hope will come to return to what would have been the formal process of doing things in, in one venue. It's pretty clear, isn't it, the people getting used to Zoom, people getting used to the technology in, in a hybrid or other manner <laughs> really has permanently changed the way complex mediations are done. Completely changed the landscape. It will be interesting to see what of the old system we will bring, we will stay with and what has been disregarded, just like, you know, working from the office, just like, uh, you know, the, the, the busy executives in a mediation now, um, they don't have to travel from New York to San Francisco to attend unless it was really important for them. We, we can have two hours of them on the screen, you know, and, and, and get them to participate um, or, or some other, you know, or people from the without economic means who have jobs they can't leave. We can we can tailor all of that to their to their needs. Um, it's it's very exciting. What we don't know yet, Howard, is what do we lose? What do we lose in the in the dispute resolution world by not having 
hands-on, personal conduct. And, and I think that we don't know enough yet. I've talked with whether the Zoom things worked a lot better than I would have thought it would a year ago. If you said to me, all the mediations can be on Zoom, I'd say, oh, my God, you know. Um, but but we're learning what are the advantages and then what are the disadvantages of it. There's a whole fatigue that goes with Zoom that, that people do it all the time. They're Zoomed out. It's ter- it's very tiring to look at a screen all day. Well, this is but this is something that happens with all, you know, technology changes the way things are done. I mean, Zoom is not just, it's not just a question of putting a camera in a mediation, having it recorded. The analogy I always use is when, you know, the internal first, the uh, the internal combustion engine first came along and, and the first, what we know as automobiles were designed, and that's why they were called horseless carriages, because that's what they were. And someone sat up front uh, on the board and there was a carriage and, uh, you know, the driver was outside because it was just a carriage without horses. Pretty soon people realized it was something different. You know, the telephone was just a toy for social communication at first. Uh, and, and what happens with technology, and that's the question with what will happen with virtual mediation and how it brings in, is that you get something new. You don't just get the old thing with a camera on it. You have the potential to develop a whole new set of processes uh, in, in terms of effectiveness and reaching results. And I think that will be very interesting to see because that's what's happening. The technology is causing a redesign of the process. And that, I think, is what we're in the middle of. Yep. Uh, very good, very good summary. Now, in addition to community mediation, another growth area here, because of the Singapore Convention, which we'll we'll talk about, is the growth of international mediation. Mediation has not flourished internationally the way it has in California. I mean, California really, I think, is the center of the development of of mediation culture, and mediation has not. Well, no, I, or let me correct you I, I, a little bit. I, it, it, it may have started in California and Texas and Florida actually were the places where in the early days when they pioneered where they started. But but it's pretty universal in the United States now. I mean, it's something like 80, 90 percent of civil cases are mediated. So it's no longer uh, a, a California phenomenon. No, no, it, uh, there's not today in the United States, absolutely. Yeah. But I was really talking about it internationally where there have been barriers. Okay. It, it is not as prominent uh, internationally uh, as, as, you know, as it is in the United States uh, It grew out of California. So we now have the Singapore Convention. And the Singapore Convention, in a word, essentially permits the same kind of result for settlements uh, to be recognized around the world as the New York Convention provides uh, for, uh, for for arbitration awards. Will the Singapore Convention have a big impact on how mediation spreads internationally? Um, it, it's the first sort of codification of it. And, and you know, we're going to have to work out the bureaucracy and the nuts and so on. But here was this whole territory of the Silk Railroad and, and developing countries with uh, uh, new economies and new regimes uh, who wanted to increase regional commerce and and give confidence to businesses that if they had a dispute, this is what businesses need to know, that if they have a dispute in Kazakhstan or they have a dispute in 
in uh, Uzbekistan or, or in, in Armenia that they can get it speedily resolved and that they can get it fairly resolved by someone who speaks their, their, their business language and that, that they can end up get a fair impartial shake out. And the development of commercial mediation in different parts of the world is a phenomenon. Uh, and, and the Singapore Convention uh, materialized that and institutionalized it uh, with some incredible work by the people who put it together. And it's a test. And when, when that happens with Singapore Convention, there'll be a, a Cairo Convention, and then there'll be one in, uh, you know, in, in, in Central Asia and in South America. There'll be the Colombian uh, pact or whatever it is. So th- th- we're, we're on the brink of that, Howard, and, and we'll have to work out the, the, the nuts and bolts of it and whatever glitches there are. But it's a, it, it augurs well for mediation in the future, and it's, it's the beginning of a phenomenon. Ten years from now, uh, when you're interviewing some mediator about this, uh, this will be just de rigueur. There'll be, there'll be regional things like the Singapore Convention in every continent and in every region. But there has been, you know, in other countries, even certainly in the legal profession, there has been a kind of resistance to the mediation process in, 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 in many places during international arbitration in other countries. You know, I came across this as recently as a year ago. I was at dinner at, at uh, Lincoln's Inn in, 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 in London and talking to Queen's Council, one of the, one of the most respected barristers uh, in the United Kingdom. And I started talking about mediation and he said, you know, he pays no attention to it. He said, he just tries the case. His job is to win the case and if the client wants to settle, the client can do a negotiation or finding someone else to do it. But he doesn't play any role. All he does is focus on winning the case in court. And I was taken aback because that's that's an attitude I've heard from, from others around the world as well. Well, I call them the John Waynes of the legal profession. You know, I don't I don't settle cases, partner. I just take them to court and win them. You know, I ain't no sissy settling cases. You know. It, it, and, and, and when we first started it, there really was that kind of bent uh, to it. Um, uh, I was accused once uh, 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 by a good friend at a birthday toast of being the Neville Chamberlain of the law, settling cases <laughs> and giving up the trial lawyer. And that, obviously that person wanted to be Winston Churchill. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, 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 but nevertheless, uh, uh, Howard, it, it, it is it is change. Every country has resistance to it. There are people whose livelihoods and who only know one way of doing it, and along comes this alternative method of resolving stuff, and it says, hey, wait a minute, you're going to take away my cases that I build on. What happens if I settle on them? How am I going to make a living? And the courts are sometimes very zealous about controlling their cases and not having it taken uh, away from them. It, it's, it's an adjustment period. In every, it took us, and those of us who were part of, of JAMS, which was the leading ADR uh, service in the United States, although there are many good services now that have emerged, 
that uh, uh, other we, we it took us twenty five years of of resistance of lawyers at first just saying I don't want to do it so on to suddenly lawyers understanding man if I if I don't learn this stuff I'm going to lose some of my clients and the support and they they've gone out and now it's part of the uh, it's part of the culture it's happening in countries. Um, Howard all over the world, um, slowly, bitterly, um, and 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 we don't have we have some places where it's going a lot slower than we had hoped, but it's almost inevitable. Well, we want to talk about that. We've started we've we've started the discussion of international mediation. Uh, we've talked about this because this is and it's it's important. It's also very much in the news. The Daily Journal covers a great deal in all alternative dispute resolution and mediation. But the Daily Journal also covers a lot of other news, the regular news in the legal profession. Let's take another short break and hear about some of the other newsworthy matters in the legal profession that the Daily Journal is now covering. The Weekly Brief is brought to you by the Daily Journal, California's largest legal newspaper. Here are some of our top stories for the week of November 16th. Uber and Lyft asked the First District Court of Appeal to reconsider a ruling that required companies to comply with AB5 and reclassify their drivers as employees and not independent contractors. Attorney General Xavier Becerra called the request premature. His stance gives an indication that he believes the case would be impacted by the passage of a ballot measure that rejected much of the state's gig worker law. Given that their election results will be certified after the court's opinion becomes final, Becerra said the rehearing was premature and illogical. The election results will be certified on December 11th. A federal judge denied a bid to halt LA's coronavirus-related eviction moratorium, saying it is a war only the legislature could solve. Senior U.S. District Judge Dean D. Pregerson said, though the moratorium substantially affects landlords' contract rights, the public interest weighs in favor of the preliminary injunction. He said monetary losses in this context did not constitute irreparable harm, but foreclosure did. The Apartment Association of Greater Los Angeles, which filed the lawsuit in June, only submitted a few declarations from its member landlords, and only two of which mentioned mortgage difficulties. Los Angeles City Attorney Mike Fewer said the decision was a win for tenants and called for federal aid for COVID-affected tenants and landlords. Experts warn legal malpractice claims will rise in 2020 and are urging attorneys to take precautions to avoid lawsuits from disgruntled clients. According to a new report, malpractice claims in 2019 stayed the same or rose for eight of 10 major professional liability insurance companies surveyed. Half of the companies that experienced a rise say that the claims increased by at least 11%. Munger Toll's partner Bethany W. Kristovich said the reason lawyers face more claims during tough times is that there's increased scrutiny when money is tight. And this year's crisis is different than ones from the past because of how many industries were hit by government shutdown orders. Kristovich said the best way to protect yourself from potential problems is good communication with everyone involved. And if you sense a claim coming, get counsel involved. To read these stories and more, go to dailyjournal.com slash articles. We're now back from the break as we've been talking about international mediation. And I want to raise one very important additional subject in terms of what you've done in international mediation. Through the Weinstein Foundation, you have begun a program of Weinstein Fellows 
uh, internationally that have brought young people and others into the mediation culture and, and mediation. Tell us about the Weinstein Foundation and what it's done in, in, in with helping the Weinstein Fellows. Thanks for the, the lead into what I care about most in the world, uh, which are my fellows and uh, the, 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 the Weinstein Jams Fellows. Uh, and, and there are now uh, 140 of them in 72 countries. Um, we, we, uh, when I was in Bosnia as the U.S. representative, my job was to try to mediate uh, or, to, or to voluntarily get distribution of $14 billion of, of uh, privatization money that distributed. And I, I was uh, at stalemate between the Muslim Serbs and Croats um, and, and, and until someone uh, said to me, uh, and we, I was doing all this in diplomatic offices with all the ministers of this and that. And and someone came up with a note to me, one of the young sisters said, there's a magistrate behind the church who's been doing this stuff for years who'd like to speak to you. And I said, sure, take the soul. He brought me back, and this guy schooled me on mediation and how to deal with the different ethnic and cultural uh, nuances of the people there. Um, and I, I, I've since, this is 25 years ago, I, I've since, uh, 15 years ago, uh, 20, 20 years ago, I, I've searched to try to find him again, and we haven't, we, we don't know what happened to him after the war. Um, but flying back on the plane, I, I said to myself, there must be people, these hidden gems. It turned out, by the way, that all of the people, whether Muslim, Croat, or Serb, it didn't matter, in the area had been going to this guy behind the church in his little office to resolve disputes for years. He had the magic. He had the, he just did it. And um, I thought, gee, there must be people like this all over the world. So we started a program uh, with uh, uh, that, that I funded with jams um, uh, to bring over 10 to 12 mediation future stars from different places in the world and to train them in the U.S. for a year, sometimes six months to a year, and uh, then to send them back to their country where they would practice different forms of mediation, either in their court system, on their own, in their ministry of justice. It, 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 it didn't matter. And we, we ended up getting through the power of the Internet we never expected. We got like 500 applications a year of the most amazing police chiefs. We, we ended up having the commandant of the Punjab. We have generals in the army. We have a couple of Supreme Court justices who love this stuff. We have a, a woman in Pakistan who was, who was mediating between the families where they had thrown women out on the street because of their uh, choices of mates. Uh, we, had, we have a young man from one of the African countries who's been 23 years old and mediating between the tribes and the, and, 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 and the army um, and was doing it all around. He just had the magic. And we found these people. We've, we've, we've given them a stipend. We brought them over. And they've studied here. 
they've taught our people a lot and, and they've shadowed some of the best mediators in the in the country, learning at least our way of doing it and then modifying it to theirs and going back to different countries in the world. And they're now, as I said, over 150 of them now, I guess, of fellows, some of them doing remarkable things, Howard, in their countries. Some of them are the the pioneers of mediation in their countries. And that one guy in the London Police Department, a police deputy, He's been mediating between the gangs there. He's been the guy doing it for years. He came, he's been, he, he's gone back and he's teaching, we're doing a whole thing with police uh, uh, people from around the world that we're going to do. We're going to do uh, uh, seminars with army uh, commanders and above who uh, want to learn these skills. And we're, we're also trying to take a lot of it to the different police departments we're working with Salt Lake City, the LA Police Department, and others about ways of dealing with some of the community issues through the wonders of mediation. So the the, the fellows and, and and to see what the progress some of them were making in uh, we have one of our fellows who opened up uh, offices in the in four Arab countries, a mediation offices there. Uh, we have a, a, a judge from. Bhutan, who's taken mediation out to the villages in in the in, in Bhutan, we have four Chinese mediators who are uh, from different sections of China, all with different degrees of success in their mediation endeavors. I could go on forever, as you could tell. I'll stop now. But it it, it it's remarkable to see what these talented people with some help with their skills and their background. And, and in some instances, a small grant to help them get started, what they're doing in their countries around the world. Uh, they're, they're amazing. This is just remarkable. There are, yeah, there are very few people, very few people, who have had the impact on the legal system and the way it functions than, than you have. And what's so interesting is that it not only impacts the legal system, it affects the whole culture. You've spoken about your granddaughter starting to use these skills, but as individuals get trained in these skills and learn about themselves and how to resolve these matters, there is a change not only in the legal system, but in the culture as a whole, because then people use these skills in their daily life, in other things as well, even where it's not formal mediation, but still the skills lead to resolution of what is or otherwise become conflicts. What you have done in in an effect on this legal system is truly remarkable. And there is no way to overstate, and it it is time, you know, I say, there are times in people's lives and it's well beyond this in your life when you can sit back and really appreciate what you've achieved. And we appreciate so much, we're honored that you've taken the time to join in this podcast. Uh, It's been our pleasure and honor. Thank you so much. Thank you, Howard, and to the to your uh, listening crew and the lawyers out there uh, who are the future mediation advocates, along with good trial lawyers. I hope this has been helpful and and, and uh, that your career uh, is enhanced by it. Thanks, Howard. <laughs>